This is Joy Paris, and you're listening to the Empathy Global Podcast. Here we will come together and listen to the stories and struggles of people around the world. No blame, no political bent. We share our stories to erase the lines that are separating our increasingly fractured world. Because in the end, if nothing else, we are all profoundly human. And finding the beauty in that and being willing to feel someone else's pain, someone else's story with them, that is empathy. So before we get started, I have a few exciting announcements, starting with Empathy Global is going on tour starting next week. On June 28th, we leave. We'll be going up the East Coast, so if you're going to be there, please let us know if we're coming through your city so we can talk to you and we can hear your story, and that would be wonderful. Also, we have uh, some t-shirts for sale at the empathyglobal.org store. You can check that out. We also have a book club that's going. We do a fiction book and then a nonfiction book, one book a month. So if you're interested in joining that, you can check that out at the website, as well as if you are interested in supporting us. Of course, when you share our podcast, that helps us a lot. When you like and share things like that and engage in our posts, that helps. Um, but if you'd like to support us financially, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash empathy global. You can become a patron for as little as $2 a month. And anything you can give really helps us to keep doing what we're doing. Again, thank you for your support, and here's the show. Hi, everyone. Today we're here to talk about drug addiction and recovery. I have two guests here who wants to start by introducing themselves. Hi, I'm Tara. I'm 35. I have three kids, and I'm a daycare teacher. And I'm Emily. I'm 27. I am a student, and I have one child. All right. Um, so I know that drug addiction can be like a really taboo issue that people don't really like to talk about. People who are going through it and the people around them don't really know how to handle it and stuff like that. So I feel very honored that you guys are willing to come here and tell us your story. I know it's a very brave thing to do. So I just want to thank you guys for starting out. Um, but I'm just going to start by just saying, tell us your story. That's our empathy, empathy global thing. Tell us your story um, and ways to make the individual story kind of help the culture as a whole. Um, so who wants to start? I can start. <clears throat> um, let's see. Well, I'll start not from the beginning of my life, but from when I first started using. So... I started using when I was about 19, 20 years old. I, yeah, I think so. Um, that was like the time period when Roxy's were really popular. Um, and basically, I had a boyfriend, and he wasn't the best character. He was like a tattoo artist who rode a motorcycle, <laughs> somebody that your parents probably wouldn't want you to date. <laughs> and he had a really bad drug addiction. He was really bad off on pills, pain pills. And he basically introduced me to pain pills and opiates. And at first it just started off like a recreational thing. Like you would do one when you were going out that night if you were doing something that night and then it kind of progressed into you're doing it every night until you realize when you go a night without it that you start to feel like sick and uh let's see we actually moved in together like 
kind of deep into our addiction. I think at that point we had also started experimenting with like Coke and I think that was about it. Mainly just opiates and cocaine. And we moved into this little house and we probably lived there for about two weeks. And two weeks in, his parents called me and said that he had been arrested because he showed up to their house like super high, high out of his mind, couldn't hardly walk. And they actually called the police on him because they, I think they, they did it to try to get him help because they didn't know what to do. And he had drugs on him. I think he had drugs and drug paraphernalia on him. He got arrested. And, um, so I get this phone call basically saying like, he's in jail. Um, I don't know if you want to stay in this house alone or what you're, you want to do. We don't know how long he's going to be in jail. And, uh, at that point I started kind of sobering up a little bit. I moved back home to my, my mom's house and I actually realized pretty quickly that a couple of my debit cards had gone missing. My bank card, I found out, uh, was overdrafted about $1,300. And my, um, it was like my student loan debit card was the, all, like, the entire student loan was gone. So it was like about $5,000, about like almost $7,000 in total just gone. That was like pretty devastating because it was like the first person I had ever like tried to live with and just like the it was like a huge betrayal like basically like somebody that tells you that they love you and that you live with is capable of doing something like that but I I uh I kind of attribute that behavior to the addiction because I know that my addiction led me to steal and to lie to people that like my family members and people that you love, but like the addiction just kind of takes over. So after that, I stayed clean, I think for about two weeks. And then I started using again, and that went on for a while. Um, I started dating, like, somebody that I knew because I could get pills from them. And it was in a very good relationship, and I was pretty heavy into pills again, and I actually got pregnant. And... um, Soon, I think it was like three months into the pregnancy, and I wasn't going to the doctor because I was using, and I was kind of like afraid to go because I know that like when you're using and you're pregnant that like you're going to get DCF involved and all of that. So when I finally did go, they did like the ultrasound to check for like a heartbeat. (laughs) Sorry. And the baby didn't have a heartbeat. So it was hard. Sorry. 
and basically my way at that time to deal with that was to <clears throat> take the rest of the pills that I had, which is about 20, like, Oxy-30s, <clears throat> and <clears throat> I overdosed. <clears throat> And this was actually at my mom's house, and um, nobody was supposed to be home because I think my dad was still traveling and working at the time. And for some reason, <clears throat> my dad came home, and and he found me, and uh, he ended up calling nine one one. I got rushed to Halifax, <clears throat> and. They, they put, they <clears throat> like hooked IVs up to me, but they didn't have to pump my stomach. I think I had built up a pretty high tolerance at that point. <clears throat> so from there, I had to go to the like psychiatric ward of Halifax for suicide watch. So I got Baker acted and I was there. I think it's like a 72 hour hold that I was there and after that <laughs> I went to rehab for the first time um, I went for about I think it was three months it was a three month program and it wasn't that bad I actually got my I got myself back for a little while I, um, I got, I started living clean again, and, uh, I, it was, it was a good program, like, basically, I got the drugs out of my system, but I was still pretty young, I think I turned 21 right when I got out of that program, and, uh, when I got out, I kind of immediately jumped back into, um, a relationship and I kind of fell back on my old ways and I started I started using I started using again I got put on like Suboxone for a while but I still kind of continued to use in and out um, let's see So that went on for a pretty long time. That went on for about five years. And I guess, yeah, five years. So basically I was using for all that time. And it, when you're using, it's it's hard to like live, live a good life. I, I managed to like get a degree, an associate's degree, but I couldn't really hold down a job for a very long period of time. Um, I think my relationship suffered because of it with family and friends. <clears throat> and then I, um, I think, yeah, and then 
yeah, I met my daughter's father. I used throughout that relationship. <clears throat> when I found out I was pregnant, I stopped everything that I was doing except um, the Suboxone, and I would strictly go through my physician that I was seeing, and I actually got switched to Subutex because I, it's better for uh, pregnancy. And I was good during my pregnancy. I stayed on Subutex, and I didn't use anything else. It was, it was, I, I it was, I mean, it was easy for me because I was pregnant. I wasn't really tempted to use, but it was an abusive relationship. Not really physically, but like emotionally and mentally. He was just not a very good person. Um, he would do, he would drink and just do crazy, ridiculous things. And I just remember it being extremely stressful having to move around a lot because of like money issues and stuff like that. And, um, when I had her, I actually, um, was living with my dad because I think I decided to leave about a month before I actually had her. And so that was actually a pretty good decision because I was away from all of the chaos and ridiculousness and craziness and because I knew I didn't want to bring her into that environment. Um, and that was actually a good time. It was, it was a good time. I, I was still on the Sebutex or Suboxone, but um, I, I stayed away from everything else. I was basically just living in my dad's house with my daughter. And it was, it's, it was pretty, it was good for a while until I started another relationship. And this is like a pattern, like, in my story, jumping into relationships when you don't have yourself together. It's not a good idea. So started this new relationship with somebody that I had known for a while. I knew that this person had issues and wasn't probably the best influence, but I was, I think I was honestly just like bored and I just kind of fell back onto old, old bad habits. Um, so throughout the course of this relationship, basically everything that we would do together was centered around either drinking or taking drugs and it started out with basically just alcohol and then it progressed into doing cocaine doing cocaine every weekend doing cocaine eventually every single day um and that is really difficult to try to hide from your family when you're doing coke every day and they started questioning me um, there's just a lot of suspicious behavior and, um, they didn't know what to do because I was just in a, I was basically like out of my mind because doing cocaine every day, you're basically in some kind of form of psychosis. Um, so eventually what they did was they called DCF. DCF got called, I think three times. The first two times, for some reason, I didn't have to take a drug test, and I kind of just talked my way out of it. 
the third time, I was like, I was pretty tired at that point. And I was like, I really just want to break, honestly. So I voluntarily took a drug test <clears throat> and um, it came up positive for basically every single thing on the panel. And <clears throat> they said, okay, you need to kind of help yourself here. Uh, we can give your dad power of attorney and you can continue to stay with your daughter in this house. Um, but you're going to have to try to go to rehab or something. So <clears throat> I, let's see, I agreed. I, I, kind, I pretty much wanted to do that at that point. And uh, I ended up going to rehab for eight months. At one point, and actually it was pretty cool because my daughter could go there with me. And it was pretty good for a while, I think like six months. Eventually, like, I came to this point where you can start working, and I went and I dropped my daughter off at my dad's house, and I was going to go, I was leaving to go to work, and I went into the bathroom, and I went into the medicine cabinet, and I actually found, like, an old prescription bottle that um, hadn't gotten thrown away, basically some of my old medication that used to be prescribed to me. And it was something for anxiety. And I was pretty nervous, I think, trying to start a new job, like, in rehab. So I was like, oh, why not? Why not take something for anxiety? It was not a good decision. <laughs> um, basically, I went to work. I went back, picked her up, went back to rehab. The next morning was, like, a surprise UA and um, so I failed it, and <sighs> this is the hardest part. It's okay, take um, your time. <laughs> Basically, it was like, we'll give you one chance, but we're not going to give you another one. And this is the hardest part of my story. And honestly, this is what addiction will do to you, especially if you're a parent. If you're using drugs and you're a parent, you're going to get your kids taken away. So, DCF came, and they had to remove her I was pretty lucky though because she could go live with my dad and I could finish out the program and try to work with them to eventually gain custody back so I did it was it was a hard it was a struggle but I eventually graduated the program successfully I couldn't move back in with my dad because I couldn't move back in with my daughter immediately. So I stayed in different people's houses. I stayed, I stayed like in a halfway house, I think, for like a week. Um, actually got in trouble for drinking. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a hard time. Um, 
after that, <clears throat> basically, I just like kind of surrendered to what I needed to do for myself and her. And <clears throat> I strictly followed the rules. Like I did every single thing that they <clears throat> needed for me. And I think September of last year, we were reunited officially and I got custody back. That was amazing. Um, so let's see. I don't really keep track of how long I haven't been taking anything because I feel like when I did do that, it was kind of something that I obsessed about and I was like, oh, like it kind of gave me anxiety to know like exactly how many days. So I don't, I don't keep track of it anymore, <laughs> but it's been, it's been probably since about 2014, 15. Um, and let's see, today I am, I'm a student, I'm about to graduate in August. I have my own house, which is a first since I was probably about 21 years old. Um, I have, I, I actually stayed single for a few years until getting into my next relationship, which is actually a really good relationship, and it's kind of amazing to um, go from terrible relationships to finally understanding like what a good relationship is actually supposed to be like. So, uh, let's see. I think that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the emotional. Oh, no. It's, <laughs> it's an emotional story. No, I haven't totally. told it in a while. <laughs> yeah. Tara, do you want to go? <laughs> sure. Okay, so I was born in Green, Ohio. Um, I had a sister at the time. Well, I have three sisters. And um, I grew up in a very violent home with, you know, domestic violence going on. It was so bad that my oldest sister had to take me and my two younger sisters through the window and have my cousins come pick us up so my dad wouldn't notice that we were leaving. Um, so that was really rough. Um, and I don't know if it was because of that or not, but I grew up very shy, very reserved, very insecure uh, with myself, and it just was very hard growing up in school and everything. Um, when I was about 16, 17, I started drinking, smoking weed to try to come out of my shell more, and that actually helped. You know, I just dabbled with that though until I was about um, 24. Well, I, I had moved to Florida uh, a couple years before that. And then when I, w I, had a, uh, I had a son with an older man, and that's difficult. <laughs> it wasn't a very good relationship either. We actually weren't even together when I had my son, which was hard. Um, so, because I had to go through the pregnancy by myself, pretty much. So th it was 
wasn't really fun going to my ultrasounds, which was supposed to be a good experience because I didn't have anyone to share it with. Um, but let's see. I didn't really become an addict until after I had my son uh, because I didn't want to be the mom to say no all the time. You know, I wanted to always say yes. You know, I never wanted to be too tired to take him to the park or too tired to wash the dishes. I became a perfectionist, very OCD. Uh, then I met, I met a man that was actually a drug dealer and I had actually was getting Roxy's from him, um, pills to give me energy. Um, and I'd stay up all night, you know, cleaning, doing laundry. And I always took the pills to take him to the park or take him to the beach, but I never ended up actually following through with that. You know, that's what the drugs do to you. Uh, the man I was with actually was um, very abusive also. And I put up with it because I guess he was giving me my drugs for free. And... <clears throat> That was very hard. I didn't have anybody else really in my life. Um, I don't know. Uh, I started, I became very, very depressed. I had really bad anxiety, uh, along with, you know, still being shy. So then I started taking Xanax, and then I also actually started taking um, Cebutex also to help me come off the... Roxy's, but that's just another thing to become addicted to. I don't believe in that today. Um, it's actually even really the same feeling. Uh, then that led to meth. I started using meth because it's just never enough. I just wanted to keep getting higher and higher and higher. Um, you know, when I didn't have my son, I, all I thought about was my son. So I got high so I wouldn't have to think about him. But it, and in the long run, I just ended up thinking about him more, and it just made it harder. Um, I had actually uh, was in the car with my son coming back from a baseball game with my boyfriend, and um, he wanted me to go faster, so he put his hand on my leg um, that was accelerating, and I was, he was forcing me to go faster, and I was getting really scared, and my son, which was two at the time, was screaming in the back. So I pulled over on the side of the road and um, opened the door, got out of the car, and was going to go get my son, but then he got in the middle. He stood between me and my son, and I was scared. I didn't want him to hit me. Um, so what had happened is he went over, well, I, he went over and opened up the door, and I went up behind him to unbuckle the seatbelt of the car seat. And by the time I had stood up to unbuckle the car seat, he, I looked over and my son was on the ground. He had actually threw my son onto the ground. And I didn't, even, I didn't see it happen, but I had found out later from witnesses and through DCF that he did throw my son which wasn't something that he would normally do, but I do know that he was on, you know, several drugs, meth, Xanax, alcohol. So that's what the drugs made him do, you know. Um, so then 
DCF got involved, but I guess since I didn't, I was prescribed everything that I was taking. I guess I wasn't taking meth at the time. I took the UA. Um, I, nothing happened, but he ends up getting arrested and um, got charged with domestic violence and child abuse and eventually ended up going to jail. But I got back with him, well, before he went to jail, um, just because, I don't know, I just, he was my normal, um, I did, you know, I, at least I thought I loved him, but I think I just really loved the drugs. Um, so he went to jail, and then which led me to be homeless. Um, well, no, not that time. Um, oh, he didn't end up going to jail years later. After I had actually had a child with him, he ended up going to jail. And I was homeless on the streets with nowhere to go. At that point, you had two children? Yes. Yeah, I had another child. And... Sorry. No. So, um, I went up north to stay with my sister, and she was trying to get me clean, but it just wasn't working. Um, so, I, I had to get my... I went back up north to get my... Or back up back down to Florida to get my income tax and I ended up moving in with someone well they had the cops called on them which led to DCF being called and I was high at the moment when they let them in and I took the UA and I tested positive for meth, Sebutex and Xanax well I had the prescriptions for Sebutex but I didn't have any of the Sebutex left uh, and you know meth and Xanax so they took my daughter away and my mom kept her for a little bit and then I eventually lost her through CPC and that's even worse than DCF so I ended up going to rehab because I just knew that there was no other answer um, I successfully completed the program. I got her back a couple months after I was there, um, so that wasn't so bad. I didn't mind being in rehab, um, but I got back with the same guy. I got back with the same guy when I got out of rehab, and that wasn't good. He, from the beginning, um, was using straight after jail. He got out of jail about um, two months after I got out of rehab. <clears throat> He never took anything serious. Uh, so did you have both of your kids at that point? Well, my son, um, I ended up signing my rights over to my son, to his dad, because when I was dating, uh, he, I, I didn't want my son around that. So I was scared I was going to lose him, so I signed my rights over to his father. Mm -hmm. So I had my daughter in rehab with me, but in just was getting visitations with my son on the weekends. That's what I'm court ordered to. So, um, yeah, so I wasn't supposed, he, he was supposed to have supervised visits and I wasn't, or I had her back. Sorry, this is kind of difficult. You guys are really brave to come and, <laughs> and tell you.
share your story. So but um, I started I started using with him. I it just took me one drink, and I went back to using the Sebutex and the Adderall, and I thought it was okay, or I justified it in my mind because I got a prescription for them. <clears throat> but I wasn't taking them the right way. He was taking meth, and I was trying to get on the same level as him, so instead of taking just a couple Adderall, I would take four at a time. Or just, I was really only supposed to be taking one Adderall at a time, but I was taking four at a time, like every few hours. So it was took almost six months, and then I stopped doing my UAs. Um, you know, because I didn't want to, I didn't want to fail for methamphetamine because I ended up doing that. Um, and then he ended up, I, he ended up getting, we were living together and he ended up getting arrested for violation of probation. And then, uh, and then at the same time, I had lost my daughter because they had seen they had seen um, a bruise on my eye a few times, and they were they knew that I was having her around the domestic violence, and they didn't want that. So I had lost him, I had lost her, and then I found out I was pregnant, and then I was homeless. So then I didn't know what to do. Uh, I moved in with my mom for a little bit, but then she wasn't having it, my lifestyle, because I just didn't want to stop. Because at this point, I was severely depressed because I had lost everything I cared and loved in life, you know. Um, <clears throat> so I eventually ended up calling the rehab and asking them if I could come back and told them I was pregnant. And uh, they said yes. So I went back to rehab, but this time it took me a lot longer to get my daughter back because they wanted to see that I was actually getting something from the program. But I had got a, I, they had also threatened to take my baby away that I was pregnant with. You know, once I, had act, once I was even in rehab, but I just kept doing the next right thing and just kept, you know, praying about it, praying about it. And it all just kept coming together. So I ended up having a clean baby, healthy baby, um, and graduated the program, started working. I actually moved into a sober house. Um, I've just got my daughter back again in March, and I moved out of the sober house and just got my own apartment and my own vehicle for the first time in many years. And that's where you are about now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, what do you think? How do you think being a parent ties into all these things? Like, what would you say to people who are listening and they say, you know, um, like, how, how is your addiction affected by having a child or how is your child affected by, by your addiction? 
I think when you're in active addiction, you're kind of blinded to how your actions are affecting your child. <clears throat> because you love your child and that never goes away. But unfortunately, some people don't agree with this. But I know I do because I personally experienced it. Addiction is 10 times stronger than a parent's love for their child. It just completely overtakes every thing about you. Every, <clears throat> every single thing, basically, when you're addicted to a substance is second to that substance, whether you are, you're aware of it or not. And I think, it, I think when other people are on the outside looking in, it's scary, obviously. It's terrifying because you're watching the situation unfold where this person is trying to be a parent, but they aren't even really aware of how their actions are affecting their own kids. So... Like the environment. Yeah. Yeah, the environments that, 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 you know, they get put into, the things that they have to be around, uh, you know, it's basically just you're chasing your drug, you're trying to get that next high, and nothing else, everything is second to that, and it's, when you're addicted, you, you physically need it, it's like you're in survival mode, it's like you're seeking, it's like, shelter and food and water except that's more important and it, it just it takes over your entire life um advice i think um you for some like family members and and friends i think first of all if you're not going to be supportive and by supportive i don't mean like codependent and like enabling like, don't just, like, do everything that they ask of you, but, like, say, hey, I'll be here for you, but I'm only going to be here for you if you want to work with me to help you start making some good decisions. And, like, if I can, you know, see that you're trying, like, I'm always going to be there for you. But otherwise, don't be enabling, don't be codependent with that person. And um, if you can't, be supportive like that then you need to keep your distance I think because it's toxic for everybody involved mm -hmm. and if you don't have you know if you're not able to be there for that person who needs a lot of help and a lot of support just keep keep a distance but don't don't shut them out you know don't don't not talk to them about what they're going through. Um, I know, like, some of some not, <clears throat> not everybody, but, like, some people that knew about, a little bit about what I was going through would just, like, completely not talk about it at all. And that was, like, almost just as bad. Like, you know, I, like, I, you know, it's, I want some, somebody to like talk to me about it like it's not like I have you know the scarlet letter or something like keep away like you can approach them and talk to them you know it's not like they're gonna give you the black plague or something that's kind of mm -hmm. like how I felt I think some people they they don't want to 
seem like that they're trying to like define you by your addiction so it's like they want to treat you like a mm-hmm. normal person you know yeah but that can be hard because it's a big part of your life at that point oh yeah so it's hard to like it's like if I ask you about what's going on with you and stuff like that but I make it kind of clear I don't want to talk about the drugs then it like becomes harder for you to answer yeah, right. Definitely, Cause like, because that's all that's I'm trying really to get going my kid on. back. Right. Like I'm, you know. Yeah. What would you say, Tara? Being a parent, well, being a parent is hard in itself. Being a single parent is hard, and like I said, that's why I started using. Uh, but I know what ends up happening is I just end up leaving broken promises with my kids, you know. I think I, I thought I was being a better parent, but in the long run I wasn't. But you don't know that, and you don't know that at the time. I didn't know that for many, many years. It took me a long time to realize that. Sad to say, but in, in also what becomes of that is just I lost, I lost my kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just blessed that I was able to get them back. So um, what would you say would be some advice for people who are maybe currently going through addiction and they just don't know what to do and, you know, uh, how, how would you encourage them to kind of get to the point that you guys are at? Well, for people who are currently in active addiction, it's hard because honestly, like for me, I really made a change when I was completely tired of it and you really have to personally want to make that change but if you are tired of it and you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired um there's help out there I mean there's like an opiate epidemic in this country right now I feel like every 15 minutes there's a commercial on tv for like a rehab or like Mm -hmm. a 1-800 number for something um did you know that Volusia County is the number one opiate addicted county in the whole state? Really? Mm. Really. Wow. I had I had no idea. I didn't either. That's crazy. It's extremely common. Yeah. I would say, I mean, it's, well, I mean, Volusia County, there is help in Volusia County. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, That's especially something. for women, there there's help. If you want help in this county, you can get it. Um, you can detox. You can find a place to go to treatment, and if you really put the work in and you really, you know, follow up with the counseling and all of that, it's a lot of work, and it's hard, and it takes a long time, but it's worth it. And I know, for me, there's times when I was like, oh my gosh, when is this ever going to end? Like, when is this ever going to be over? It was just like such a long process, especially with CPC and DCF trying to, you know, that next court day, that next court day, Mm -hmm. finally get custody back. They draw it out because they want to make sure and they definitely make sure, you know, and there's still people who, you know, end up relapsing and having to do it all again, but if you're willing to put the work in and you're willing to be patient, there is a better life. I mean, I feel like I'm finally living life for the first time since I was like 21, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think some people may be afraid to come out as 
an addict. An addict, mm-hmm. like because okay, let's say you have kids and you're addicted and you want to quit, but mm-hmm. if you like make it public that you are using, it's scary, you know, yeah, and then you wonder, well, what if I fail getting clean? And, you know, like, now everyone knows. I mean, what do they say? (laughs) It's progress, not perfection. Yes. Mm -hmm. Nobody does anything perfectly, Mm -hmm. you know? There's nothing to be ashamed of. And not every, you know, not just because, like, like, I know in rehab, like, they would give you, like, a specific way to do things and say, this is what you need to do for the rest of your life. Like, I don't really agree with that. I think everybody has their own way Mm -hmm. of dealing with things as long as you don't use Um, I don't go to, like, 12-step meetings. They were helpful, you know. I did find help in them, but I don't do that anymore. Um, But I'm not knocking it. It is extremely helpful, and some people go to them for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would say just... Some people just don't want to focus on their past at a certain point. They want to try to move forward. Right, like, I, I don't want my past to define who I am. <clears throat> and like I went to counseling for over a little over a year and that was one thing that we talked about like I didn't like going and saying like hi I'm so and so and I'm an addict every single day it was like mm-hmm. that was like defining who I was you know mm-hmm. and I know I I, str- I definitely am an addict because I struggle with addiction but I I'm more than that you know <clears throat> advice you would give people well I would just say you know you're worth it Um, it's worth the fight but you do have to fight for it but it's worth it in the long run and a thing that helped me is just praying you know my faith and my higher power just keep praying praying and it will all fall into place as long as you just keep doing the next right thing yeah and what would you say to the general population like people who have stigmas behind drugs and maybe who've been hurt by family members who are doing drugs or foster parents who fall in love with children who have to go back to addictive parents and Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like that that can be really hard for people who don't understand because it's not something they've personally experienced you know it's not something they can wrap their minds around that's hard I would say just try to be as forgiving as you possibly can and if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all I know I hate like seeing um Facebook posts uh, those little memes that people put out like why is methadone free when um diabetes medication is not you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like stuff like that I, I I feel like it's so easy to judge um a drug addict because there's a huge stereotype of being you're a bad person um so yeah i would say i mean if you don't have anything nice to say don't say anything at all yeah i believe uh the first time is a choice but i do believe that it is a disease and it's you don't know unless you're in those shoes. So just don't judge the person. Just try to be loving and listening and acceptable to them and their lifestyle and choices. Because it can be hard to try to process 
something illogical, like an addiction in a logical way. Right. If you're not an addict, it's extremely hard to understand because Mm -hmm. you would say, well, why don't you just stop? Like, why can't you just stop? And it's a little bit more complicated than that because when you're in active addiction, you're physically dependent on a substance or a chemical. So you, most of the time you really can't just stop because you'll go into withdrawal. You'll go, you'll have extremely, like an extremely mm-hmm. bad flu and you'll That's do not anything fun. not to feel like that. Anything. So it's hard to understand if you're not an addict, really. It really is. And, and I get it. Um, but yeah, I don't know just want people to have more hope that people will reach to the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people have experienced, like, you know, people having relapsed multiple times and stuff, and it becomes harder to trust, Yeah. you know? Like, yeah. people don't want to get their hopes up or something. Oh, you yeah, know? definitely. Uh, I know my like, family had to deal with that for a, a while. Um, but if they had given up on you. Right, right. Like... There. Try, you know, I, I, have, I, I don't think you should ever give up on family. And I think my family feels the same way about that. But um, if you're not capable of being there for someone, you need to definitely keep some strong boundaries. Um, love them at a distance if you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so on a lighter note, <laughs> uh, I have this game. Uh, it's called... Uh, Q&E, Provocations for Applied Empathy, and it comes from the uh, Sub Rosa Applied Empathy podcast. They made it, um, and it's one podcast I really like. So I've got these cards, and I think it's fun to end each podcast on some kind of a deep question, because these are already topics that we just don't talk about in regular life on a regular basis. Um, So that in and of itself is kind of unique. But these questions are kind of like deep questions, and I kind of think they're fun, and usually like totally different topic, you know, whatever. So I'm going to have you guys each draw just any card random. Oh, that's a long one. (laughs) All right, I'll go first. So my card says, how does courage manifest in your work? Uh, Well, I'm a teacher during the day, but I am working towards... um, towards working more in this field with what I'm doing with Empathy Global. Um, But one thing I noticed, actually, I was listening to a how-to podcast, kind of like how to make your podcast better, how to get more listeners, how to, you know, just like ideas and helpful things for their podcast. And one thing, they, they were talking like two of the modules were all about the host. And it's like, what kind of a persona are you putting out? And what kind of... um what's your story and all this stuff. And I was like, well, man, I don't really tell my story. Um, And I think sometimes recording a video of myself to promote or um, anything like that can be kind of like, it's easy for me to sit here and tell everyone else to tell their stories. But sometimes that's the hardest thing for me is to, to be part of it because in the end... I'm the one who, like, people are going to say, like, your podcast is great or your podcast is horrible or, you know what I mean? So um, sometimes 
I feel like I try to avoid the spotlight a lot, uh, and that's something I'm trying to work on. Um, you know, I feel like you guys are brave, and you come out here, and you tell your stories, and you, you know, uh, sometimes I'll do live videos, and you're, like, having people watch you and stuff, and uh, I think it's only it makes sense for me to be willing to kind of step out in that, too. Only for me, it's not just a one-time episode. <laughs> it's every episode. <laughs> so... That would be what I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks, especially goes with that question. So who wants to go next? I'll go. Okay. When is failure productive? That's a good one. <laughs> uh, failure, I think, is always productive because failure gives you a chance to try again. Hmm. That's the way I look at it. Um, yeah, I think every time that I have failed has just given me another chance to grow a little bit stronger and to not make the mistakes that I made in the past again and just grow as a person. Mm -hmm. I heard a quote one time that said, in America, you've only failed if you've given up. Yeah, definitely. And I thought that was so great. It's easy to give up. At least if you're failing, you're doing something. Right. You know, it's easy just to lay around all day and not do anything and say, oh, I lost my kids. Like, I'm okay. I, I give up. Like, just mm-hmm. take them. It's hard to take a random UA every single week and go here and do this class and and have them come to your house randomly without you even knowing they're coming and checking up on you. And just it's a lot and it's hard. And it, it would have definitely been easy to just say, I, I'm, I give up, just take my rights away, you know, let my dad adopt her, whatever, and, uh, yeah, and, you know, I, through that process, I, I did fail, because, you know, they sent me to rehab, and I relapsed when I was going to work that day, and, and ended up making things a lot harder for me, but I just, basically kept doing the next right thing and I basically surrendered to the process and you know I learned a lot about myself and you know that all came about because I failed at something so what does your card say Tara okay mine says what are the biggest sacrifices you've made well I feel like I've sacrificed everything for my kids to get clean, you know, my privacy, just everything. But like I said, it's worth it in the long run. It's definitely worth it. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate you coming here and you telling your stories. And um, for everybody listening, I just hope that you can go forward from this um, with a new understanding of how difficult it can be for people who are going through addiction and Uh, If there's anybody in your life that's going through similar things that you can have maybe a better way to um, respond to them and kind of see underneath the hood (laughs) of really what's going on, even if they may not be able or ready to talk about it yet. And that um, we can try to learn to have hope and supporting people and and not giving up on them.